It was in this very same month of October, six years ago now, that innovator and co-founder of Apple Incorporated, Steve Jobs, died after a 10-year struggle with pancreatic cancer. Commenting on the organizational impacts that this company of his had and continues to have even after his death, an article I read recently said this, when you buy brands like Gucci or Ralph Lauren, you buy into a fantasy, the same goes for Apple products. Apple is selling a lifestyle. Or Apple's strategy involves selling their consumers a global package of dreams, personal experiences, and status. Listen, it makes almost all other products go unnoticed if they don't carry that little Apple logo. Now, much of that ideology, selling a lifestyle, not just products, that, that made Apple the surpassing success that it is today, that was the brainchild of Steve Jobs. That was his idea of how he wanted to make his company this surpassing success. Not just selling products, we're selling a lifestyle. And Apple spends over a billion dollars annual in just in advertising alone in order to make it so that whenever you're buying a phone, a computer, a watch, whatever it is, to attain that lifestyle, the name that you think of first above all other names is Apple. Even if you don't buy their products or you can't afford them, you think of that name. We're continuing in this series on prayer we began a few weeks ago entitled Ask, Accessing the Father's Heart Through Prayer. We started out looking at the what and the why questions of prayer, and then last Sunday... We started in to look at Jesus' teaching on the how of prayer, classically called the Lord's Prayer, as we have recorded here in Matthew 6. There, last week, we talked just about the first four words of this prayer, Our Father in Heaven, looking at how that shows us clearly where and to whom our prayers are directed when we pray. We also talked about how Jesus is the only one who secures that access to the fatherhood of God so that we can pray to him that way. Today, now we dig into the first of the six petitions Jesus lays out in this prayer. This one, hallowed be thy name, or hallowed be your name. And I have to say, of all the petitions listed here, I think for most of us, this one is the most confusing. It's the most misunderstood, I think, of all of them, because I won't speak for you, but myself, hallowed, that's That's not a word that I see, I don't read that word, I don't hear it at all. I don't don't use it at all, I don't see it, unless I'm I'm reading or praying this prayer. That's the only place I see it anywhere. Maybe that's true for you as well. And then, for a lot of us, okay, so we come to this prayer, we read it, we're praying it. Most of us are not really sure what we're praying. What what does that mean even, Halloween? What, What is that? Is that something to do with Halloween, dressing up, candy, I don't... We're not really sure what we're praying when we do that. And so as a result of that, when we come to this part of the Lord's Prayer, we're praying it, most often it can lead us to get to this part and just kind of smile politely and just sort of scooch over into the second and third petitions. Uh, you will, it will be done, your kingdom come, because we know those words. We understand that. So we just, you know what, hallowed be your name. Yeah, it's part of the prayer, but maybe just keep it over here and we'll stick with these, these ones that we know really well. Well, what I'm saying to you is that to do that, to leave hallowed be your name over here, means it leads us to miss out 
And what Jesus says is the very first thing that we should pray about. Once our access to God, we understood, and it's rooted in the fatherhood of God, he says it's the very first thing we should pray about. It means we miss something crucial in our prayers when we pray this. If we just pray, our Father in heaven, weird-sounding Shakespearean part, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, we, we miss something to do that. So what does it mean? What, what, what does hallowed mean? Well, in a basic kind of everyday sense, the easiest way to think about this and understand what hallowing something means is to think about the same way that Steve Jobs Apple Incorporated is working every single day, pouring in effort, hours of time, billions of dollars in order to ensure that when it comes to their thing, computers, technology, whatever it is, that Apple is the name that you respect, that you honor, that you think of first above all other names, that it's the name you hallow. That's what it means. They're they're pouring into that effort so that this is the name that you think of above all others means that even if you are a Samsung, Android, you're a BlackBerry disciple, whatever it is, the fact remains, Apple's job, their goal is to hallow the name of Apple, just as it's the goal of whatever company you happen to think is the best one. But now we're talking about this in a biblical sense, so now when we say hallowed in from the Bible, we're saying, what does the Bible mean by that? It's a bit more even specific than that. It means to set something apart as holy from another group. It's completely other and different from all these other things. It's to treat something as holy. That's what it means to hallow something. Holy. Holiness, that word, just meaning whole or complete, perfect, pure, without flaw of any kind. In fact, most theologians describe holiness as the one thing that defines all of God's other attributes. Yes, he is holy and perfect in himself, but he's also holy and perfect in the way he loves. He's holy and pure in his justice, in his power, and on and on and on. Take all this together now. Put it all in front of us. It reveals what Jesus is asking us ultimately to pray in this first petition. Is that the name of God would be set apart. That it would be honored, revered, respected above all other names. Apple. NASA, whatever name you think of is great, that his name would be exalted above those names. That whether we're talking about technology or cosmology or cosmetology, whether we're talking about anything in this life, death, eating, sex, anything that's part of God's created order, that we would not think of any of those things without first thinking of God's name. How does that relate to God? Praising and honoring him above all for creating those things. We know that's what it means to hallow God's name because that's how everything is regarded. That's how it's thought of in heaven. Why do I say that? Well, because if you look at verse 10 in our passage, that last little sentence there, on earth as it is in heaven, maybe you didn't know, that little postscript is to be added not just to the third petition, but to all three of the first petitions. All three of the first petitions include on earth as it is in heaven. So, the first petition then is asking that God's name would be honored, that it would be worshipped, that it would be hallowed above all other names on earth. God, may your name be hallowed on earth in the same way that it already is right now in heaven. Which might sound good to us, particularly if you're a Christian here today. You might think, yes, 
We, we need that. I, I get grieved when I hear God's name being uh, taken in vain, people using his name as a curse. Yes, I want his name to be hallowed on earth. And it is a good thing. We should want that. And yet, we love this prayer until we look inside our own hearts. We look inside our own lives, assess those places, and discover that there are all kinds of places where his name is still not hallowed in our lives. Places where his name is not what we think of first above all other names and where we don't want to think of it first. One commentator said it this way, We can pray our Father with grateful sincerity, but when we pray hallowed be your name, we pray this with the guilty knowledge that even as we pray it, There are areas of our life where his name is not hallowed. So, in order to understand how we could pray this first petition of the Lord's Prayer with sincerity, why we should even want to pray it at all, I want to look at our passage just in three ways this morning. I want to, first of all, do just a quick flyover of the whole prayer and talk about the anatomy of prayer. And then I want to zoom in and look at how God's name is presently being hallowed in heaven. That will help us to understand what it would look like for his name to be hallowed here on earth. So, those three things, the anatomy of prayer, how his name is presently hallowed, and then getting to hallowed on earth. That's what we'll look at this morning. So, if you closed your Bibles, open them again. Matthew chapter 6, beginning of verse 9. Follow along with me as we consider what Jesus wants to teach us about prayer in this first, often passed over, petition of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be your name. Let's look, first of all, at the anatomy of prayer. The anatomy of prayer. And I want to look at this just briefly so we consider the overall flow of this prayer, how it all fits together, and how particularly this first petition fits with the other five. And I think this prayer as a whole can be broken down into three kind of recognizable pieces. The first is in verse 9 there, the address of the prayer, our Father in heaven. Second section the six petitions that make up the body of the prayer in verses 9 through 13. And then finally, there's the close of the prayer, which I could see some of you anticipating this morning. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. If you know that prayer, you're familiar with that postscript that's often said as a part of this prayer. You'll notice it's not in the main body of text, but it's actually relegated down to a footnote at the bottom of your Bible. The reason for that being that most scholars agree that Although what that says is true, it's good and right to pray that, it was likely not part of Jesus' initial teaching on prayer. Those were not Jesus' initial words, but a later scribal edition, uh, as later uh, scribes were copying the manuscripts from one to another, that was added in as a worshipful summary of Jesus' teaching on prayer. So it's not wrong, and we should pray that, and it's good and right to pray it, but probably not Jesus' initial teaching on prayer, which is... Honestly, that's one of the benefits of having so many New Testament manuscripts. We've got something to compare to so that when something pops up later on, a later manuscript, you can say, well, wait, that's not the same as this. Where did that come from? And I think what that does, by listing it right here, I think that should give us even more confidence in the trustworthiness of this book we have. Because if they're trying to hide something, they're not going to put that right on the page, right? They're going to hope nobody ever goes back and checks. Here they're saying, listen, there's questions. We're not, we're not sure that that's part of the original, so we're including it at the bottom, but it's not in the main body. I think that should give us more confidence in this Bible that we have, that it is trustworthy, it is reliable. 
Two things quickly that I just want to highlight by way of application in this whole section on the anatomy of prayer. First of all, while we may have grown up reciting this prayer together uh, with others on our own, as just as it's written here, it's important to note that what Jesus is giving his disciples here and then by extension to all of us is much more, I think, a descriptive pattern of prayer than it is a specific prescriptive listing of things we have to pray, pray verbatim. It's a descriptive pattern of prayer. And we know this because throughout the New Testament, there's all kinds of prayers listed. After Jesus' teaching on prayer, there's many prayers we have. Even Jesus himself prays, and he doesn't pray this prayer verbatim. He doesn't just say, every time you see pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. No, there's all kinds of different prayers through the New Testament. And yet, there's elements of the Lord's Prayer in each one of them. So I think what that shows us is that while it's entirely appropriate to pray this prayer just as it's listed, I think Jesus' intent was likely much more that we would use this prayer as a template that would show us the kinds of things we should be praying for and would also teach us about how we are to order our prayers. I say that because that's what leads us to the second thing to say about this prayer as a whole and that you'll notice as you read those six petitions, they likely can be broken into two sections of three. The first three are all focused on God, praising and worship of Him, and the second three focus on us and our needs that we want to bring to Him. What I'm saying is that I think there's intent in Jesus ordering His teaching on prayer that way. I think Jesus is saying, He's telling all of us, when you come to your Father in prayer, start with praise and adoration of Him. Start there and then bring your requests, whatever they are, to Him. He's teaching us an order of prayer. And I think the reason being, maybe you've discovered this in your own prayers, when you start out thinking, considering who this God is, praising Him for His greatness, His power, His might, it very often reframes. It, it helps us to see those things we're struggling with differently. We see it with different lenses when we start there. I think that's Jesus' intent in teaching us to pray this way, beginning with praise for the greatness of God, it very often reshapes, refocuses whatever requests and fears are on our heart before we even pray them. Because we think, God, if that's who you are, I shouldn't be afraid of this. God, if that's the power you have, I can trust you to bring this healing, to bring this provision, whatever it is. So that's the anatomy of this prayer. There's, there's lots more we can say, entire books written about it, but I think that gives us enough basis, at least to begin now, to dig into this first petition of the prayer. And if you remember what I said as we began, each of those first three petitions of the prayer are to include, be prayed along with that request at the end of verse 10, that God would cause these three things to happen, bring them about on earth as it is in heaven. But in order to understand what God's name being hallowed on earth would look like, I think first we need to understand, okay, how is his name Presently hallowed in heaven. What does that look like? So let's look now at how God's name is presently hallowed. Presently hallowed. So what does the hallowing of God's name look like? Well, before we even get there, many of you have probably been hearing all this, like, hallow your name. We want your name to be hallowed. And you've asked the question, why, why just his name? Why does the prayer say, May your name be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven. I mean, is God really that concerned that people think his name is so awesome? Like, why is he so concerned about that? Shouldn't the prayer instead be, God, may you be hallowed on earth like you are in heaven? Shouldn't that be what the prayer is? And very simply, the answer is, 
that, that is what you're praying. That is what you're praying when you pray that God's name would be hallowed on earth like it is in heaven. And we know that because all through the Bible, a name was not just something you called someone in to dinner by. It also was something that described all of who they are. So we got all kinds of names in the Bible. Uh, the name Abraham meant father of many, which he was. The name Jacob meant deceiver, which he definitely was. The name uh, uh, Jesus. Remember, the angel told Mary, you shall call his name Jesus because he'll save his people from their sins. That name Jesus, Yeshua, means the Lord saves. Which means it wasn't a problem at all for Jesus to tell his disciples, ask that God's name would be hallowed on earth as it is in heaven because they would have understood very much so that that's by praying that they're praying that God himself would be hallowed. And that's how we should understand it as well. So, okay, we know that now. What, what does it look like? What does God's name being hallowed in heaven look like? Well, there's a number of places that we could look at, remembering the definition that we had of what hallowing looks like. Remember, whatever that thing or person is being hallowed, they are, they're praised, they're revered, they're honored, their name is seen as uh, superior to all others. And then in the biblical sense, being set apart and treated as holy. Lots of places we could look at, I think, a clear one, which maybe you're familiar with already. It comes from Isaiah chapter 6. There, Isaiah is given a, a picture of the throne room of heaven, the very place we enter now each time we pray. And, and describing this vision, listen to what Isaiah says. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two, they covered their faces. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Now, this vision is very likely closely related to a vision that John has at the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, chapter 4. There, John has a vision also of the throne room of heaven, surrounded by these worshipers, of all, as well as these descriptions of God's power and His greatness. Revelation 4.8, uh, John also sees these angelic six-winged worshipers, and they're saying this, listen, each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under His wings, and day and night they never stopped saying, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Now, in both of these passages, the clear picture is where all worship, all praise, all honor is directed solely to God. It's all coming only to Him, and it happens continually and for all time. This is ongoing from the beginning of time until now and will continue until the end of time. Constantly, all these, every creature in heaven praising God, honoring and hallowing His name. It's a, it's a staggering picture of immense size, which Isaiah and John, I mean, they struggle to even find language to describe. But before we even get to the question of how did we do this on earth, I think as it relates to prayer, Jesus has given us something really incredible, really gracious in just including those simple words, pray for God's name to be hallowed like it is in heaven. Because what's he doing? He's, he's focusing our gaze upward to heaven as a point of reference. He's saying, pray like it is in heaven. Why does he do that? Well, because if you know your Bible pretty well, you know a verse like Romans 8, 26, that says, we don't know how to pray. 
We don't know what we should pray for. We need the Spirit to help us in our weakness. So really, you could say what is happening here is because our sinful bent constantly causes us to turn inward in our prayers, to pray selfishly, the Spirit, through Jesus, is interceding here, helping us to understand and focusing our prayers and bringing them into line with God's will. How gracious of God to not just teach us in prayer, but in this first petition, rather than just telling us, hallow God's name. Instead, lifting up our gaze to heaven, where we have a perfect example of what prayer and praise looks like for all time. He's showing us what it looks like. This is like a, a, a chief surgeon teaching his residents to perform a complicated heart surgery. Instead of just saying, perform this surgery perfectly, inviting them into his operating room, allowing them to observe closely and saying, do it like this. That's what Jesus is doing us and teaching us to pray, hallow God's name like it is in heaven. He's saying, like this. That's how his name is to be hallowed. So we've looked at the anatomy of prayer. We've considered the standard of what hallowing God's name should look like as it is presently hallowed in heaven. The last thing I want us to look at is getting to hallowed on earth. How do we get that picture up in heaven down here? How do we get to hallowed on earth? And we need to talk about this because this is the heart of the prayer. This is the heart of this first petition. Hallowed be your name. God literally praying, may your name be hallowed where? On earth, here. May your name be hallowed here on earth like we, this example you showed us in heaven. So, so what's, what's going on with all this? Why, why would Jesus reveal that as the very first thing that we should pray? I mean, it's probably not a surprise to any of us. There's all kinds of places on the earth where his name is not presently hallowed. We see it all around us. But why first? Why pray this thing first? Well, the very first thing to say is, as pastor and author John Piper points out, this first petition of the Lord's Prayer is not a declaration, it's a request. It's not a declaration, it's a request. It's not praising God for the fact that He is holy, although that's certainly implied. It's asking Him. We're asking Him to make His name holy. We're asking Him to cause His name to be hallowed on the earth like it is in heaven. That leads us to the second thing that right away we need to see about this first petition. Jesus is not telling us to ask for God's help that we could make his name hallowed on the earth. He's telling us to pray that God would make his own name hallowed on the earth like it is in heaven, which, if you're like me at all, makes you just want to kind of hold on to your temples and just be like, okay, wait, 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 what? What? Why would, doesn't God already want his name to be hallowed on earth? Why is Jesus telling us to pray that God would, do stuff he already wants to do. Why? Good question. I believe the answer is, and we're going to see this next week as well, when we talk about praying for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. The answer is that in telling us to do these things, to ask God to do something he already wants to do, Jesus is demonstrating real time what we just talked about in Romans 8.26. He's helping us in our weakness. We don't know what we should pray for. So what Jesus is saying here is, let me tell you what you would pray for if you knew everything I know. This is what you should be praying if you knew the things I know. You should be praying that God's name would be hallowed on earth like it is in heaven. So the first answer to the question is, how do we cause God's name to be hallowed on earth like it is in heaven? You don't. You don't nor could you in your finite weakness. We can't make people want to hallow God's name. We can't do that, which is why, of course, Jesus is telling us to ask 
God to do it. We're praying, God, would you do this? Because we can't. But before you get too comfortable, just because God is the only one who can cause his name to be hallowed on earth like it is in heaven does not mean that he does not also want to use us as his instruments. He does not want to use us, as 2 Corinthians calls us, his ambassadors here on earth in order to help him accomplish that goal of hallowing his name on earth that only he can accomplish. He does want that, and we know that God wants to use us that way to accomplish this thing that he already wants because of a number of interactions that we see him happening throughout the Bible with his children. One of the clearest examples would be Moses. Moses in the book of Numbers, chapter 20. Here, uh, Moses is wandering through the wilderness with the people of Israel. They're on the way to the promised land. And no big surprise, once again, people of Israel are complaining. They're whining. This time, oh, we don't have enough water again. Excuse me, waiter, we don't have enough water again. And it's, it's unbelievable because God has provided for them in all these ways so many times. And yet, once again, they break into these drama queen soliloquies about how, it would, oh, this would have been better. Why did we leave Egypt It was so much better there. At least we had water. Why would God lead us out here just to kill us? I mean, they've said this so many times and God's provided, and yet here again, they don't have enough water, and they're saying, God, you've let us down. No, you just brought us out here to kill us. Thanks a lot. But God graciously provides once again for them. He says to Moses, Moses, speak to this rock, and I will command water to come out of this rock to feed the people, to give them water for themselves and for their animals. It's an amazing miracle. But when Moses comes to the people with his brother Aaron with this miracle that he's about to do, he's so irritated. He's so just fed up with their pathetic, incessant whining that he says to them, Listen, you rebels, must we provide water from this rock? And then, rather than just speaking to the rock as God commands, he takes his staff and he strikes the rock twice Now, in fairness, that is how God commanded him to perform this miracle the last time. He said, strike the rock with your staff and water will come out, and it did. So that's what God said last time, but this time, very clearly, he said, speak to the rock. Don't strike it. Speak to the rock, and I will provide for my people. And although water does come from the rock and his people and the animals drink, listen to what God says in response to Moses' faithless actions. Verse 12. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy, that is, to hallow my name. Because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this community into the land I give them. These were the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and where he showed himself holy, where he hallowed his own name among them. So yes, God, he he caused his own name to be hallowed among the people. But the clear implication is that God also desired to use Moses to do that. He wanted him to also hallow his name. He wanted him to have a, a part in that. But by not trusting God and putting himself forward as the savior of the people, Moses, he lost. He missed out on this incredible opportunity where God was inviting him in to be a part of this amazing task of causing his name to be hallowed on the earth. Another example from Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2 here, Paul has some hard words 
for these uh, Jewish men and women who are trusting and putting their faith in the fact that they're Jews, the fact that they have the law. Listen to what Paul says here. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will, approve of what is superior because you're instructed by the law, if you're convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, and an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have the law, the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Verse 21, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? Listen, verse 24, as it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. God's name is not hallowed among those who don't know him because of you. So here's the point. Yes, only God can cause his name to be hallowed on the earth like it is in heaven. That's why Jesus tells us to pray that God would do it, that he would accomplish this task that he wants. But yet the clear implication from these and many other verses, many other passages with negative and positive examples, is that God desires to invite us into what he's doing. He doesn't need us. He's not dependent on us. And yet he invites us as his children into this amazing task of seeing his name hallowed on the earth like it is in heaven. He wants to use us to accomplish this desperate task. And it is desperate. It's desperate. If you just look around you every day, we see a world that continues to hallow created things over the creator. Where we would give praise and honor to God's stuff, but rob him of the glory and the honor, the hallowing that is rightfully his. And every day we sprint faster and closer towards destruction and his just judgment coming because of that it's a desperate task we we need his name to be hallowed on earth like it is in heaven but this is the crux of the prayer for most of us because praying this prayer ourselves will necessarily reveal all the places in us where his name is not presently hallowed as well all the places the secret areas of your life where you don't want God to speak into that you don't want to have him conform into his holy image? We all have them. Now listen, hear me, this does not mean that we need to be perfect in order to hallow God's name on earth. If that's the job, none of us can do it. So this is not a call to perfection. There was only one perfect person who obeyed God perfectly, and that was Jesus. So that role is taken. But the way that we truly can seek to join God in hallowing his name on earth like it is in heaven, is by daily seeking to open ourselves to the Spirit of God, coming before our Father in heaven and opening ourselves to him, by coming to him in prayer, by coming to him through his word, by coming to him in the community of other brothers and sisters who can hold us accountable, allowing God to reveal those places in us through those people and things, where his name is still not hallowed, by coming before the Spirit of God and saying as honestly as we can, God, there is no place in my life that you cannot speak into. There is no place, Father, that you cannot, that you don't have access to. And then when he reveals those places, repenting, asking for his forgiveness and grace to then help us 
to hallow his name in those places. Help us to allow him to conform those places more and more into his image so that as we live our lives among others where his name is not hallowed, they might see in us that, yes, God's name is to be hallowed. He is superior in grace, mercy, and love. His name should be lifted up high above all other names that people would want to put their trust in. Put your trust here. His name is to be hallowed, thought of, seen as first and primary above all others. That's the goal of why we would want his name to be hallowed, because we want his name to be hallowed in others as well, like it is in heaven. Commenting on this same passage, again, John Piper noted this. Prayer, he said, is God's way of bringing our priorities into alignment with his. Think of that. Prayer is God's way of bringing our priorities into alignment with his. I think that's exactly what we've seen this morning as we look at this first often passed over petition of the Lord's Prayer. And I think in the end for us to pray for God's name to be hallowed on earth like it is in heaven touches on two ways that I think we can pray this prayer in order to bring about this priority that God has of hallowing his name on the earth. First of all, seeing that, yes, God's desire is that his name would be hallowed on earth. We've seen that clearly, but places like Psalm 19, Luke 19 reveal that the creation as a whole, rocks, trees, birds, mountains, they they already do hallow his name. They do. So what that means is it's talking about us. It's mankind. It's human beings that still need to get on page with the rest of creation. We're the ones that have not caught up yet. So that means personally, again, asking God, reveal those areas in my life. Think of that even now in your own heart. God, reveal those areas in my life where your name is not hallowed. Open, my, open up ourselves and then ask God to help you change that, to, to pour his light into those areas to bring about change. And then corporately, together, as a church family here, as God's family spread across the earth, asking God to use us as his imperfect yet redeemed witnesses to demonstrate how worthy of hallowing his name he is so that the world might also hallow his name above all others. Which means, one of the ways we pray this prayer is we're saying, God, would you cause your name to be hallowed here in a way that would redeem and would reform all the present evils in our world that result from your name not being hallowed? That's one of the ways we're praying presently now. God, fix these places in the earth that are broken because your name is not hallowed. And there's all kinds of them. We could list thousands of examples. But secondly... We need to remember as well, God's desire, yes, is that his name would be hallowed on earth, but places like 2 Timothy 3, Luke 13, 1 John 3, they also reveal that in the end, it's only Jesus' return. It's only the coming of Christ's return that we would truly see God's name hallowed on earth like it is in heaven. Which means the second way that we need to pray this prayer, hallowed be your name on earth like it is in heaven, is we need to pray it, big word alert, eschatologically. It means we're praying, Jesus, come back. That's what we're praying when we say, hallow your name on earth. Bring about that time you speak of in your word when heaven and earth will once again be one because your presence will dwell among your people. Hallow your name that way on earth like it presently is in heaven. Both of those ways of praying this prayer present us with something significant about what it means to pray, hallowed be your name. 
I'm praying you've seen this morning from this first petition how essential it is we pray this, that it should never be skipped over. For as much as we want God to act in order to see his name hallowed on earth as it is in heaven, we also need to pray this prayer as his children, praying, God, hallow your name in us. Praying that first and foremost, hallow your name in me like it is in heaven. And I believe as he does that more and more, we will see his name hallowed here presently on earth like it is in heaven. Let's pray. Ask him to accomplish this in our own lives.